Here we go again, another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast, getting ready to roll out. And uh, today we're going to be talking with Grexall Mountain Gear. And man, it was in 2017, the owner Austin reached out to me and he's like, hey dude, um, I got, I'm, I'm starting to make these game bags and I want you to have some and test them out if you feel so inclined. I was like, hell, hell yeah, man, send them to me. So he sends them to me. He sends them to me, and then he, then I am actually able to use them. I, uh, me and my other buddy Dan, from New York, we end up shooting a mule deer out in South. Uh, he ends up shooting a mule deer out in uh, South Dakota, and then we cut this thing up. And we use these game bags, and they performed pretty well. Well, he reached out to me again, and he's like, "Hey, man, I got some new products. I'd like." To share with you if you're interested so he sent me another box I'm like hey dude why don't you just come on the podcast and, and let's talk about these products and and so now it's not just game bags he's getting ready to like this different variety of game bags he has European skull mounts uh, and he has boot dryers and that right those boot dryers right there are gonna be pretty cool uh, and so I got a pair and I think I'm gonna be using them a lot especially when I'm out west and it's hot and the feet are starting to sweat, things like that. Now, uh, blah, 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 blah. the cool thing about all these products are made in America. He is adamant that everything, uh, as much as humanly possible, can be made in America. And that's kind of the credo that he lives by. High, he wants very high quality. He wants returning customers. And uh, he put, he, like he says, he puts all the money right back into the business. And that's, and that's what keeps the quality high and uh dude i don't know about you guys but i love high quality and you know I'm a, I'm a fan of made in america stuff too and if that equation works out i would love to support not only that individual company but all of the other companies within the united states that support that company right so and he talks about that uh so it's a really good episode i think you guys are uh, gonna enjoy it i'm gonna keep the intro short on this one and I am going to run the commercial now, and that is Code Blue Scents. Now, Code Blue is, um, is a scent company. They have uh, real urine. They have synthetics. They, you know, they're they're the scent elimination sprays. They have deodorants. They have laundry detergent. And the thing that I've been messing around with, and, and actually tomorrow, whenever you guys are listening to this, me and my son are heading down to uh, the new farm that I've gotten access to. And I'm going to be putting out some more mock scrapes. And, and the kit specifically that they offer is called the Rope-A-Dope. It's the orbital gland. And so what I'm going to do is I just got done doing an interview with Troy Pottinger. He's like the mock scrape master. I myself am going to try to, you know, do some mock scrape stuff. And hopefully get that in front of a trail camera or get that within shooting range of a whitetail. And I, I really do think it's gonna, it, it, it's gonna pay off if I do it right. And so he, uh, Troy, you know, that episode, you gotta go listen to it, right? And so that's what I've been doing. Uh, I have a discount code for you. It, first off, you gotta go to their website, read up on all their products, and if you do decide to buy, it, enter the dis. It's codebluesense.com, and then you use the discount code NFC20. And that's going to get you 20% off. So that's it. Let's get into today's episode. Have a good one. Three, 
two, one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today's guest, I think it was about 2017, reached out to me and said, hey, I'm making some game bags and I want to send them to you. Would you be interested in taking them? And I was like, yeah, dude, send them my way. I'll I'll give them a try. Luckily, that, uh, that fall, me and my buddy Dan from New York went to South Dakota and he slayed an absolute giant mule deer and we were able to use those game bags. And, and so today, Jeremiah Johnston, just kidding. His name's not Jeremiah Johnston. <laughs> his name is Austin. <laughs> Come on. It's a long German name. It's really easy. Austin. Uh, <laughs> what's your last name, Austin? Burnsketter. Burnsketter. That's right. Austin Burnsketter. And uh, he's back. He's on the podcast today to talk about his company, to talk about his game bags and some of the other products that he has. But uh, before we get into all that, why don't you uh, talk to us a little bit about how your season went last year, man? Uh, my whitetail season was dismal, and it has been for three years, Dan. I, uh, I, I, I go out west every year, and I've had a lot more luck out west. I don't know what it is. It's like... Um, I think I spend more time sitting in a whitetail stand than driving out west for two days and hunting for a week and then coming back. Right. So that that kind of sums up my season. I killed a six-point bull, and I killed a four-by-four muley, and then I struck out over and over and over and over again on whitetail. And so, and what, what state do you live in? Missouri. Missouri, okay. Yeah. Man, that's uh, – I mean, some guys do that. Some guys just are almost automatic out west and then they get home and they struggle i know a, I know a guy he i wouldn't put him at automatic out west but he it's easier for him uh the style that he hunts on the public land that he hunts out west than it is in his very small parcel uh farms that he has access to for whitetails in michigan yeah and i mean i'm not michigan i you know right. missouri we got some great deer crop but yeah i still hunt pretty small places and I don't know. I, I have the problem of uh, always trying, oh, you know, I see a pretty good buck. I'm like, oh, I could, you know, there's big buck. Every year, my one of my neighbors kills like a 170, 180. So I'm always trying to play the waiting game. And then, it, you know, it's rifle season. And I'm like, oh, I still don't have a deer dead. And then it's late season and I still don't have a deer dead. And I'm like, what the hell did I do? I should have just <laughs> shot an eight pointer. I mean, come right. on. Right. But I'll tell you this. Eventually what happens is deer like that get like you know you just kind of go through the motions you say it's dismal but those deer are getting older and eventually you're gonna shoot a a monster i i, I that, that's that's just what my decades, guts tells me one of these decades dan i will you <laughs> know? decades right <laughs> right um yeah man we're we're out we're out west do you hunt uh i've been to colorado idaho wyoming uh, where else? Utah. I feel like I'm missing a place. Um, I'm trying to go to Montana. Yeah. This year I got a Colorado just leftover tag. Um, I just do OTC or general and all of them. I, I haven't drawn anything. I haven't done it. One, an actual draw. I got yeah. a Wyoming general tag. Yeah. Like, uh, going actually to what you just said on a podcast a few ago, you were talking about your Wyoming points and you got eight. Oh man, Dan, you need to burn those on a general unit. There are some, <laughs> I'm not kidding, dude. I don't know what a good unit in Wyoming takes, but right now the general is without specials, probably five, five points plus six points. Yeah. So like, I don't know. There's, man. there's, there's some spots, Dan, that you can hunt with a bow 
what, what I did in Wyoming when I drew my journal, I hunted with a bow. Um, my I went with another guy and he got a six point bull with his bow. Then we had to leave. So I came back by myself and the tag in Wyoming, the general tag, they're good for rifle as well. Okay. So I came back with a boomstick and killed a bull, you know, three weeks later. Oh, nice. So I don't, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Wyoming general, man. Yeah. A lot of it has to do with just time, right? Because, and now I'm to the point with my preference points in Wyoming where when I go, it will be my only Western hunt that year, probably my only out-of-state hunt. I've got eight preference points now. So I got eight preference points, and I, I probably don't need this many for antelope, but I got eight for elk, eight for antelope, and I believe six for mule deer and or for deer. And so mm-hmm. when I go out there, I am going to go out there with the hopes of spending like multiple weeks. Oh, you're going to get all, you're trying to get all three species. Well, no, 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 not in, okay. not in a single time, but like when I, what do, a mad man. <laughs> yeah. When I go out there, I, I that wouldn't happen with my wife and kids, but yeah. when I go out there for my elk trip, it will be, I'll be out there. I'll probably get out there September 1st and I won't come home until I kill a, a bull or like 14 days, whatever comes first. Yeah. Like I'm going to dedicate two straight weeks to that. To that's that the way to do it, man. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there are always the option though, too, Dan, you could just, you know, throw it all away. Everything you've worked for your family, your kids, your wife, yep. and just, just hunt dude. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's days. There's days. <laughs> I know, man. Me and one of my buddies talk about, we're like, you know what? We should just act. We should have just acted like we were gay this whole time. We could live. We could live together, bank a shitload of money and hunt all the time, dude. dude It'd be I, the life. <laughs> dude, I saw that. We're like, okay. So, so <laughs> a guy said this, um, said, said the same thing to me. He's like, did you know that, you know, now that all these rules have passed, gay people can get the same insurance as you know regular married couples which oh great you know good for them but now yeah. i can get married to my best hunting buddy and we can yes. share resources and go hunt yeah. more and, yes. and and so i mean just because you get married to a, a man doesn't mean you got to have sex i don't know yeah dude I we, mean, yeah. this might avoid this whole... all the butt stuff avoid all the butt stuff and just have fun that's what i'm talking yeah about. this uh this part might get edited out or maybe not but <laughs> but uh yeah, I mean, there's there's always there's always loopholes that a, a person can take advantage of. So I'll just leave, I will leave it at that. Yeah, Dan. I mean, what's gay about living with another grown man in a double wide? You know, there's nothing gay about that. <laughs> nope, nope, not at all. Um, <laughs> uh, so product. All right. Yes, in 2017, you decided to start messing around with game bags why why all of it i mean are you are you an inventor are you an entrepreneur or like why what do you what do you do for a living first off um well i do a few things but i'm i'm a mechanical engineer i got a degree in mechanical engineering so i i contract work for my brother and i've done that since maybe 2015 okay when i graduated college and um then i sell i sell fireworks i have a three, four, five stands. This depends on the year around Missouri. Okay. And then I do Graxol. So that's kind of the things I do. Um, but I, I decided to do the game bags because, uh, one of my buddies lived out in Colorado who, one of my rugby teammates from Missouri moved out there 
and said, hey, man, let's go elk hunting. I'm like, sure, I've never even thought about it, so let's go. So we packed our bags, got a Colorado over-the-counter tag, and went and got into elk, and it was awesome. We didn't kill a bull, but we got really, really close. I mean, we got very close multiple times, and we were using pillowcases. And I'm like, man, these damn pillowcases sat in my bag for 10 days. They weighed two pounds and took up as much as a basketball in mm-hmm. my bag. I'm like, this was this was terrible. So I went back home and just started um, – experiment with stuff ordering lightweight fabrics making it as light as i could changing up seams and stitch patterns and all this stuff and i found a super strong yet very light fabric that will hold hundreds of pounds you know you can poke a hole through it with a knife or a stick or a rock but it can hold tons of weight so if you don't subject it to a lot of abrasion or a puncture you can hold tons of weight and and it compresses to almost nothing like the size of a beer can for a whole set i mean you can attest to that so i uh I made that, brought it out in 2017, and I killed an over-the-counter bull in Colorado. And it was a big bull, and it fit in the set of game bags I made. I'm like, holy shit, this is actually going to work. Like, this fit the bull perfectly. Like, they work great. They breathe great. And so I just started making them. Awesome. Awesome. I do have to derail this conversation already. You said rugby. Like, Yeah, dude. Where did, where did, where did you play rugby at? Uh, I played in high school. We had a team... Jefferson, I'm in Jefferson City, Missouri, the state capital. Yep. And we had a team for years, and then it got, I don't know, disbanded or whatever. And then when I was a sophomore in high school, it restarted. So I played for them for three years, and then I played a season at University of Missouri. Okay. And then I played like another half season at the St. Louis Bombers. I don't know if you ever played them or heard of them, but. Yep, I've heard of them. I've heard of them. So they they were a pretty good team. I mean. But that time I was commuting, like I had to go drive over an hour to practice and I only did it for like half a season or a season. And I'm like, I just, I couldn't justify the time, but dude, I loved rugby. It was, it was, I played football, wrestled and rugby and rugby, man. Oh, it was great. It was, it was the best sport I've ever played. Yeah. I I loved it. Uh, Like I was a little nervous to start playing it because I didn't start playing it until my junior year in college. And then I played it for like five years after that. So uh, I played for, I didn't play through the college I was at. Um, I played for a club, uh, club team in, of a neighboring city. And dude, once you get past the nerves and realize that if you aren't going out trying to wreck people, it's not very, it's, I mean, it's a physical sport. Don't get me wrong. But if you're smart and use your head and tackle with your, your brain instead of just throwing your body around like football, the thing I always say is, I, I wish I played rugby f- first before I played football, so you could actually learn how to tackle without using your pads, yeah, without using your head across their body too. Yep, and dude, like I, I feel that a, a person who would learn to tackle without um, without pads first could go then put pads on and be an absolute savage, especially because yeah. you know. We- in in football in rugby, it's not about like smashing them. It's about trying to get control of the ball, right? Yeah. And dude, if you could do that, just like a guy, a smart football player could strip the ball so like so well. I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, rugby. Uh, more more young men need to play it, man. It's a very difficult sport. It's a yeah. it's a great sport. You know, it's 
it's like a mix between wrestling and football. Yeah. And, you know, no breaks. Yeah. But that's well, actually what I want. I want to get into a. That's 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 a good segue, Dan, because I saw a reel of you, and I knew you lost a finger. I'm yep. glad you have all your toes. Yep. But I lost you almost. I heard you almost lost your wiener in rugby, <laughs> which is insane. It wasn't. Dude. No, it wasn't my wiener. It it's wasn't your my vast deference, it, right? It was my nuts. I about lost. Oh, I about had my nuts, you know, torn from the rest of my body, and so. Uh, yeah, I had a, I had a vast deference break. Uh, what else? I broke my jaw. I never got it fixed. That's why I have such a, like a crooked smile and worn down teeth. Cause my jaw was broken in a tournament and, uh, it makes you look damn tough though. Dan. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, yeah. <laughs> makes me look something maybe like a handicap or something. Anyway. All right. Uh, back, back to the conversation. So you start. You start putting, uh, making these game bags. Uh, like, how does when you when you start off when a company starts off with just one product, how do and you have no footprint in the industry at all? You know, you're brand new. How did you get the word out about your your game bags? Oh man, I uh, <clears throat> I guess this was I get good timing. I guess I had uh, that's when podcasts were first coming up. You know, I mean. Mm-hmm. Some of them were established and big, but there wasn't very many. Mm-hmm. And just like the whole hunting influencer thing was kind of in its infancy. And I was huge into hunting, you know, whitetail before that. But I guess what I did really was just try and contact guys like you, you know. Mm-hmm. I was contacting the Dan Johnsons of the world. Uh, Ryan Lampers, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's a Western guy. Mm-hmm. Brian Call, uh, all these different Western guys. And, you know, it's a no from most people that never even get back to but then some guys were like, sure, man, I'll try them out. And if they're crap, they're crap. And, you know, there's no strings attached. I'm not looking for an endorsement. I was just like, you know, I'm just eating eating money to just send all these guys stuff. Yeah. And then, you know, some guys like them and some guys get back to me and other guys you never hear from them. But that's that was kind of my strategy. And yeah. I uh, I got pretty blessed, lucky, fortunate, whatever, that some guys liked them and then told some people and word spread a little bit. So, yeah. What is it about? the game bags okay so you mentioned that it's real light fabric when i pick it up um it reminds me of tent fabric is that is that a uh, a good description yeah it's it's close to the same thing it's a nylon and not a sill nylon so it's not impregnated with any waterproofing agents you know silicone Mm. or pu polyurethane yep it's just a straight nylon and it's a low lower denier it's a lower density Mm -hmm. um so that's that's the difference i guess and when i first did it the only other even semi-light game bags were uh gosh i don't know if they were a lot they were called bone bomb bags boneless meat bags like uh, i don't think they were caribou they were either caribou or alaska guide or something like that there were some a lot oh pristine ventures that's what it was they were they were the only other one and they were in alaska yeah and um theirs were just white and i think these were made of polyester so they were a lot heavier duty a lot heavier yeah which that's great but I was into backpack hunting where you don't want to carry an extra pound. I mean, you want to carry almost nothing. Yeah. So, and yeah. mine, mine were orange, which they were different shape. They're long and tubular, which lots of them, none of them were, they were all big pillowcases. And then mine were orange. So one, you could see your kill site from a long way. And two, you could use them to flag stuff. I use them to put them on my skulls when I pack skulls out, you know, so you don't get shot by some dude. Yep. So, those are the things I tried to change with it. Yeah. And they turned out, I mean, just from when we used them, man, they're really durable. And the cool thing about them, obviously, is machine washable, correct? 
Yeah. Yeah, I I'm a, I guess I'm filthy. I just soak mine in a sink with some detergent and hang them on the deck, but yeah, you can wash them in the washing machine on a gentle cycle. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what that's what I did. I told you before we started recording on uh, 2017 went out and shot that mule deer. Um, took the mule deer to the processor, quickly stuffed those game bags back into a some kind of box or bag that I had. I think into the carrier case bag that they all stuff into and then threw it in the back of my truck and forgot about it for like three months. And then I went to go take them out and they were just disgusting. Threw them, threw them That's in the, nasty. Yeah, I threw them in the wash and Zippo, they're back to clean again. I didn't dry them, obviously. I just hung them. You know, they spin washed out and then I hung them out on the on yeah. the chair out front. And so, yeah, yeah and they man. air dry in like, you know, 30 minutes. Pretty Ex- much. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so how did how did how's that part of the company doing for you? Oh, it's doing great. I actually I'm having problems keeping up and um, like going back, you were talking to uh, Jacob about the American made stuff and my game bags are more expensive than pretty much everyone else besides marsupial. Yep. But mine have different features. They're lighter. They're the lightest. They're the lightest uh, game bags you can consistently use. Yeah. And they're sewn in America for what that's worth. You know, it, it is becoming difficult, though, uh, whenever there's a lot more competition. You guys, you know, we're talking about all the bino harnesses out there. Yeah. Well, everybody and their brother's coming out with game bags and they're getting them made in Asia. And it's like they're they're making them like some of these companies are making their sets of game bags for practically what I have in them. Like, I just can't, right. you know, they're setting it, selling a set of elk game bags for 55, 60 bucks. And I'm just like, that's not possible. I pay my sewer. She's getting paid over $20 an hour. Like you just, you, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. Uh, I take it. Uh, so from a material standpoint, from a material standpoint, some of these uh, competing game bags are, it's probably similar, right? For a quality. Yeah. I mean, they're using, I would say their fabric's a little cheaper because it's a, it's heavier and it's counterintuitive, but heavier fabric is usually cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. Because the more technical the fabric, the, the pricier it gets. So their fabric's a little cheaper and uh, you know, you're not paying shipping costs because they're making the fabric in textile mills in Asia and it's going straight to the factory and sewn then shipped to them as a finished product. So they're, they're saving a ton of freight and labor and cutting and all yeah. that stuff that I have to incur. Okay. So, and so the material that you use isn't manufactured in the United States. The, the, the creation of the product is made in the United States, correct? Or you do that? In yeah, yeah. And okay. some of the components, like my string is, uh, my string, my reflective glow, glow wire. Um, I think I was the first one to do that, but my game bag string is 250 pound uh, cordage made by an American company with tracers in it that glow in the dark. Oh, nice. And that's American. The cord locks, it's back and forth. My thread's made in Germany. Um, but the fabric is Asian. I've got it from Vietnam before, and most of the time, though, it's China. I actually sourced a full roll of some American-made fabric. It's, it's parachute nylon here is what mm-hmm. we call it. And it's, you know, very compliant. It could be sold to the military. But it's so expensive, Dan. It's it's unusable. It's four times the price of my fabric. It's it's so expensive, my game bag sets would, like, double in cost to yeah. sell. Yeah. So I just can't do it. And they want... The, it was it's crazy because with COVID everything slowed down, but the lead times from the mill here I got quoted was uh, ten or twelve months, 
and they needed a minimum of 10,000 yards paid up front. I mean, you're talking more than $10 a yard. I mean, it, it the, the numbers were just getting insane. Like, wait, so I have to give you 50 grand and wait a year for fabric. Like I can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it important to you as a manufacturer that creating the product in the U.S. is important? Paying someone in the U.S. to sew your game bags is important. Well, I guess there's a lot of reasons to it, but I guess if you look at the overall picture, what it does is it's not just the woman sewing my game bags or the women or the or the people assembling them like my nieces and nephews and all different kind of people help us it's all it's the chain of who it helps and who it supports i mean the american company with the cordage like they they're not getting cord done and delivered to them they're manufacturing it but they're getting components from other american companies you know this reflective material the 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 braiding you know Mm -hmm. uh then you got then you got the woman's you got the woman sewing it she's uh, going to Hobby Lobby or wherever, you know, getting getting her thread. Uh, there's a million different people that are supported in this. Just because you sew it here, there's a lot of other industries supported here mm-hmm. that do it. You know, I use an American wholesaler to import my fabric right now. So that's another person that's making money. They employ people. It's just like there's a ton of there's a there's a big pyramid of people of uh, Americans that are that are, you know, that are benefiting from it. And, uh, you know, you guys were talking about the other day, tribe, you know, the tribalistic thing. And I, I don't want to be too tribalistic, but I'm looking out for my own. And if the world's a big sports game or, or a, you know, whatever, if I, I want to support Americans if I can't, if at all possible. Yeah. And there is a point where it becomes impossible. You know, if my game bags are 200 some dollars a set and everyone else is 50, I get it, man. It's, it's just, Hey Austin, maybe you should fold your hand and not do game bags anymore. Yeah. But while I can still decently compete on price and for sure compete on quality and definitely beat them on service, I'm going to keep doing it. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the conversation that we had, um, with Jacob a while a while back, I think people are willing to pay a price for that. Now, uh, everybody's price is different, but in the margin, right? Uh, from from what from not what from you're making, but the margin between the lowest product in that category and the highest product in that category, I feel like. People are willing, especially people in the outdoors hunting, are willing to pay more for an American-made product if it means, and one one big thing for me would be to have access to somebody to where I can call them and go, hey, listen, man, you sent me you sent me some bags that were just jacked up. And then my guess is you would be like, dude, I'm sorry about that. Let me get you some some new some new bags. Right. Like 100%. customer service, taking care of the, uh, of the, the person. And then you, you know, once you, once you start getting outside of that, then it just becomes like the, the water becomes dirty and people can't just say, I mean, because they have this huge process, their products are on a boat for potentially a month or so to get, even get here. And they're not doing the quality checks at all until maybe they no. unload the shipping container. No, Dan, they're not doing that even. Yeah. 
Yeah. So they're, they're just sending them out because that's that's the only way to do it efficiently. Yeah, exactly. So that's my point, right? And I feel like people are willing to pay more money if it's an American made for that reason alone. So uh that's yeah, cool. Yeah, and I'm I'm trying to upscale Dan. Like I have very I have some great I have some really cool game bag designs. Like I mean that sounds kind of stupid, honestly, thinking about it, but you know, total total nerd over here. But yeah. I, I got some bone in game bags. I've just been struggling to release and even a lighter version of game bags. And I'm struggling because I'm I'm struggling to find the American labor who can do it for a cost that actually customers will pay for because I don't make that much money on a set of game bags. Yeah. Like so I'm trying to that's the difficult part is finding the labor. And you know, every industry is experiencing that. And people, you know, it's like all the trade skills, whether it's men or women, you know, welders and plumbers, carpenters, electricians, sewers, seamstresses, these people have skills that are no one else has, and you got to yeah. pay them to do it, you know, yep. and sewing, especially it's, it's a dying art in the United States. I mean, most of the sewers for the bigger sew shops, even if they are American owned in the U S they're all foreigners and or visa holders, green yeah. card holders, or first generation Americans. They're not just. They haven't lived. Their grandpa didn't own a farm, you yeah. know. Yep. That's that's not most of the sowers in this country. Yeah. So. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. It's difficult. Yeah. All right. So. Recently, you've introduced some new products, and I'm just going to name them here. Uh, you you introduced some skull hangers uh, for European mounts, uh, like all the way from deer to elk, and then also some boot dryers. All right. And so whenever I, I see a company, I, I, there are companies that, okay, if, if you said to, if you said to me, Hey, these game bags is where I started, but now I'm going to introduce a tent or another product that uses that same fabric, then I could understand it. But now you've jumped into a, a, an electrical product, these boot dryers, which is plastic and electrical, and then also metal skull hangers, right? So talk to us a little bit about uh, these new SKUs that you're offering and what gave you the idea or, or why these products to add to your lineup. So I know, so you're, you're correct. Everybody, especially in the hunting, hunting industry, there's a lot of, you double down on one thing, mm -hmm. like, you know, you get into textiles and fabrics and stuff and you just go that to the end. And then the problem is, though, that leads that leads to a huge problem, which is so rampant, is copying or right. trying to reinvent something that doesn't need changing. You know, there's a million tents. There's a million sleeping bags there. At this point, there's a million game bags. There's so many textile things. There's so many gadgets and things out there that are already done. My whole goal was to actually create things from my own brain that are unique. Yeah. I don't want to copy anyone. Right. I don't that's that was my main thing. I want to make something come from myself that is actually useful and better than what's out there. Or there is no current product at all to do it. Yeah. So that's that's kind of was my my impetus for it. Okay. All right. And so I mean boot dryer, the boot dryer one, I, I want to get to that here in a second because it, it, it I think it's unique. I think it's cool. But skull hangers, right? There's already been uh, uh, skull hangers on the market for like decades now. Um, mm -hmm. it, are are your skull hangers made in America too? Yes, sir. Okay, so there's 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 the big one. You know, it's it's made in America. The design you have is different. Uh, 
talk to us a little bit about the the design and i know both the elk and the deer hangers are different but talk to us a little bit about um what makes these different from the rest of the skull hangers on the market or and, and can i grab the skull right quick are you gonna are you gonna show some of this video? um well i I, I do have it on i do have it on um youtube but i also will be descriptive in how we talk about it so that people can okay. understand it so yeah if you need to go grab a skull and go do it yeah no i got it right here i'll just yep. grab the skull i'll show you yep so the deer skull hanger you're right there are a thousand i've bought a thousand off etsy and mm -hmm. i was always disappointed they were cheap super thin gauge hot metal shit probably most of the time made in a foreign country and there was no quality control so flimsy and i'm like man i'm paying 10 12 15 bucks for this piece of shit that's what i was i mean over and over and i had a bunch of euros hanging in my basement mm -hmm. or just sitting on the ground really so i'm like i gotta i gotta figure this out there's a better way then i have a couple bucks one of them has a busted off main beam and another one has no main beam at all and uh they were just hanging weird. I'm like, no, no skull hanger I have that's simple can do this. So I just made this little product that it's this long tab. It inserts into the back of the skull like that. And then I made two prongs go underneath each side of, you know, whatever that the, the brain stem, the spinal cord entrance. Yep. So all you do is you slip that on and the head cannot rotate. It is locked in. It yep. can't rotate any which way. It'll fit any any deer, any small game. And I didn't, I've never seen anything like it. So yeah, I just thought I scoured the market, didn't find anything like it and thought that solves all the problems. It solves heads from rotating. It's high quality. It's powder coated. It's made in the USA and it's a different design, totally different. So yeah, that was my deer. Then <laughs> I got a bull here. Bull so elk, the yep. same with the elk hanger. I, uh, I thought lots of the elk hangers, they were either, lots of them were cheap, I guess, you know, say 25 bucks, but they were terrible. Uh, you'd hang them up like, oh, I'm not going to name this one company, but this, this big, you know, they're in Cabela's and everything else. They have a hanger with like a center sheet steel on a swivel and mm -hmm. it's like their deluxe hanger. And I bought a couple of those. And the head's so wobbly, it can fall off. It's just this big contraption. It sticks way out from the wall. I'm like, man, this, these mounts look like crap. And they're hanging off the wall three feet. And it's just flimsy garbage. So I thought, man, I need to make a mount that's adjustable and more secure and be super easy where you don't have to use a stick and string and pliers and all this crazy shit to get your head to hang. So I built, I went through a ton of prototypes and I made a hanger that uh it sits behind the eyes of the elk so it just hooks in right there behind the eyes and the occipital bones oh, yep. and the other piece rests on the jaw okay and the skull's locked in now this plate there's a plate on the bottom of the mount with through holes and there's an adjustment plate i sew with it so what you can do is on a big bull like this is a medium-sized five by seven it can just go straight on the plate you can put the adjustment plate out a notch or two and it'll bring the rear tines closer or further from the wall. So you get a big bowl, a big 330 inch bowl. You're not going to be able to have uh, his rear tines 
you don't want his rear tines to hit the wall. Obviously, it won't fit on any mount. Yep. So my plate allows for the bull to sit its rear tines go more upward or a smaller the smaller the bull gets the more you can go backward so you can always get a clean against the wall look with your skull and elk skulls are very heavy so a lot of them when you put them up the bones of the jaw or teeth or the rear tines hit your drywall and gouge the shit out of your paint so this solves that too yeah so that's that's why i feel it was different enough to actually produce. And I've never seen an elk mount or any mount that fits behind an animal's eyes. Yeah. It'll hold a cow skull. It'll hold a bear. It'll hold any, any big skull. Okay. So, um, what's, is that steel? Yeah, this is steel. This is like, man, it's thicker than eighth inch. Yeah. I forgot what it is, but uh, yeah, it looks, thick, I mean, it looks, it looks thick. And I will agree that, uh, I have a couple skull hangers downstairs, that um i bought that that do have that bracket where it can swivel and you can move the head to the left or to the right and i will say this it, it's thin and even something as light as a deer skull hanging on it you can see it pull like you could just see it like being flimsy right yeah i, I don't wobbles, think it's gonna if yeah. you're talking about the same one i am yeah and i don't think it's gonna fall off my wall or anything but, you know, something like my kids throwing a, ba- a ball around downstairs could could easily pop it off and, and, and knock it loose. So, um, yeah, man. Uh, and then and then also on a man, mine come with fat, everything you need, instructions, mm-hmm. fasteners, a QR code. You can just go to the website and see, you know, how it goes up. But, you know, also you buy these skull hangers. They don't have screws to mount it to the wall. Mine are, you know. Mine are flush head screws. They look good. They're powder coated. They're all, everything's matching. Mm-hmm. Uh, the elk one's toolless once you mount it to the wall. It's just, I tried to make it simple and not just totally jip people. Like yeah. I'm, I'm trying to give them value and not just, you know, I'm not trying to just mass produce something and rake in the cash. Yeah, I feel you. And I'll tell you what, that that ultimately leads to good business, if you ask me, right? If you If you put the product before everything else, Right. Maybe when you sell it and usually this is what happens if you say, you know what, I've, I've done my time with the company. I've, I think I'm going to sell it. Then let the other people raise the prices and screw everything up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just feel like that's what happens, especially when, and I know this is kind of a, a side conversation, but anytime there's a really good product out there, it gets sold to one of these bigger companies that is basically a holding company for more products. It, it turns to shit because all they care about is money. And, and then the yeah. product suffers and the customer service suffers. And I, I could, yeah. I could sit here and name them, name, name, you know, four or five companies. Yeah, Dan, they, happen to. they save the, they save the 88 cents or a dollar extra to include the screws and the washers. Yeah. They save the, uh, another 85 cents to make the steel thinner. They save another 50 cents to reduce the powder coating thickness. Like they just, yeah. And before you know it, you have a piece of shit. Yep. That's a fact, sir. Um, anything else special about the the skull hangers? And do you have any plans for any other type, any other versions of it? Uh, yeah, I do have a plan for another version of the elk one, but it's going to be a while out. And the deer one, actually, I'm, I'm working on a, a kind of a cool novelty version of the deer one. I'm, I don't really want to get into it because yep. someone will take it. But yep. uh, yeah, I got I got a few changes that won't happen this year, but maybe next year. Yeah. And you know, what's funny about the hangers, Dan, is I thought, 
oh man, these things are going to sell like hotcakes. And it isn't the end of the season yet. But then after I got these all made, up and package them and store them, I'm just like, you know what? I'm not really selling that many. I need to get the word out. But also, if you think about it, I sell these, the deer ones in a three pack. I'm like, man, even a good hunter, like your average good hunter who doesn't travel, he's going to use one a year. So yeah. unless they start giving them as gifts or they're traveling out of state, like I'm not going to, I'm not going to sell as many as I thought. Like, yeah. And most people, you know, they're not going to even, they're not going to fill one a year. So. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. Boot dryer time. Again, okay. it's, it is a product that is plastic. It's electronic. It is different from everything else that you you're currently doing. Why the, why this boot dryer? Uh, and then explain a little bit about what it is and why it's pretty cool. So kind of the same thing. I mean, lots of Western guys struggle with wet boots. And mm. when you're backpack hunting, you're kind of screwed. So if your boots get wet, and especially if you have full grain leather boots, they're wet for for the whole trip, essentially, unless you get really warm days early season. Uh, so that was happening to me. And it's happened to a lot of people. And... Uh, I think it was Brian call one time on his gritty podcast. He was saying like, I just wish someone could cure wet boots. And I'm like, Oh, I know how to do that. Like I got a pretty decent way. I did some calculations on the power usage and size I need and everything. So I'm like, I, I could figure I have the same problem too. Like I do need to figure that out. So I uh, took my 3d printer and just made a prototype and sent it to him within like a week or so. And um, he's like, damn man, this, this thing actually works. And then, so I started getting a little more commercialized with it and uh, maybe sold, you know, sold a few of them to guys and then just kept kind of improving it along the way until I have what I have now. But it's uh, it's even with us, like lots of Western guys now, they're using stoves and, and hot tents. Mm -hmm. And um, even if you do that, your boots, they the outsides get dry and you can put them right next to the stove and your leather will crack. But you're not getting warm air into the boot. It's pretty much impossible. Yeah. So that was another thing like, Oh, this will bring air into your boots and dry them out super fast. So yeah. I just, I got to work and, and started making this, uh, started making the boot dryer. Did you do, um, did you do any testing, uh, for like, okay, first off, let's explain it. Let's explain it here. It is a, it's two circular fans, right. That are completely enclosed. And they are how how they're less than an inch thick, right? Like how how yeah, thick the is the whole fan itself is like yeah, ten to twelve millimeters. Yeah, it's less than it's probably three quarter an inch. The total profile, total profile vertical, and yeah. then it's basically the end of it is like the size of a baseball bat, somewhere yeah. around there. A little about three about three inches, three inches, diameter, okay, three and, three and a half maybe. Okay, three and a half. And and so those slide right down into the boot. And there is a switch on them that turns them on and the fan starts to circulate, right? Yeah. So yeah, you, you lace up the tongue of your boots a little bit and you just pop these in the top of your boot and you plug, you plug the USB and it's built in into any power bank and it comes with an extension cord, but yeah, you just plug it into any USB battery pack and boom, they start rolling. They, they draw air into the boot and they have vent holes. So they, you know, humid air can escape. But, gotcha. It's just drawing air into the booth. That's the main principle. Gotcha. Um, and if, it, it, so yeah, if you want to, people could try this at home, but um, 
lots of people have like the peat boot dryers or like 110 plug-in boot dryers they have heat yep but actually if you take your wet boots say you work all day and your boots are soaked just flip them over and put a box fan on them pointing into the boot your boots will dry way better and they won't stink and they'll be dry a hundred percent and much faster than just like a heated boot dryer yeah so people at home can just try that you know midwest guys and see yeah so did you do any tests where you took like a boot just put it in a bucket of water to soak the whole thing dump dump it out and then throw these bad boys in and and what was the result as far as time is concerned because i look at something like this i go okay this is cool but if i get back to camp at midnight and i got to be up at four you know, or, or something like that, or four or five or whatever the time is, what, like hours, what the hours are. How long does it take to dry? Yeah, at 70, I did do that before I even sent the first prototype, but it's 72 degrees Fahrenheit and I don't know, the humidity inside my house, say it was 55. I don't, I don't quite remember, but 50, 50%, sorry, 50%, some 55% somewhere in there. Uh, it took the dry time from boots, these full grain leather boots that I soaked uh, it took them to about two, two and a half hours. They were dry, too dry enough, dry. To, you know, dry enough to wear. Okay. Whereas when I would not use them the next morning and into the next evening, they would still be wet. Right. So, I mean, that's fast. Yeah. And even if they're completely soaked and they've been soaked for four days, say your dry time is four hours, your power usage is still negligible. So if you plug them in all night, it, your boots will be dry as long as you're not camping in a cloud. Like when I mule deer hunt out West early season and I'm high country, I don't bring them because I'm camping literally in a cloud. And all you'll be doing is pumping moist, cold air into your boot. So in that case, you have to have a heat source. You'll have to have a wood stove. Now, if it's aired out, like it usually is in the West, then you put them in, you know, yeah. Um, that, that's the caveat for the dryers. They're not a one, you know, they're not, an outlet plug-in dryer, but they're damn good for m- lots of situations out west. Gotcha. Um, okay, that's cool, man. Um, and so, good reviews from them for them from people. Yeah, 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 man. People love them. Yeah, and there's lots of lots of hikers, campers. There's dudes that just keep them in their truck year round, and like they'll just they'll put their floor defrost on and pop the boot dryers in their truck cab, and boom, their boots are drying while they're driving somewhere. Yeah. What um uh how long does the the boot dryer the the battery in the boot dryers last like when you unplug it uh from the usb power source turn it on how long do they last no so it's only external power source so there's no battery built in you have to have a power source oh okay i gotcha yeah if you if you look um I, i show it on the website but uh if you look at what the actual power usage is it is, I haven't looked at it in a while. I think it's 1.25 watts. Yeah, it's 1.25 watts. So it's it's a quarter of the power using your phone. So imagine if you have your iPhone plugged in uh, for, say you have your iPhone plugged in for an hour charging. You know, it's at 50% and you charge it for an hour and it's at 100. These boot dryers use a quarter of the power. So if you have them plugged in for four hours it'll be the same draw off your battery as having your phone in for one hour Mm -hmm. does that make sense 
So it's very low. So for a phone charge, you can dry your boots out completely in like very wet boots and you get two nights of drying your boots out for a phone charge. So that's, that's one of the design factors. I had to have them efficient because uh, being a Western hunter, I have to have my maps work first and foremost and my feet can suffer. So I thought, well, that means it has to be low power consumption you know, the lowest I can still make it and efficiently dry boots because I have to, I would much rather have my inReach and my OnX or whatever mapping software I'm using available than using boot. You know, if you had to make yeah. the trade off, you're going to use your maps every time you have to. Right. So, right. Man, very interesting. It's cool to see companies like this prosper and, you know, take, cause, cause I have a feeling this is the long road. Right. You're in it for the long haul, not necessarily for quick returns and money right away. I've never made a dollar off Graxaw because the money I have made just goes right back into the company. And it's yeah, I'm I am in it for the long haul. I want to actually build an innovative company. Yeah, that's a fact, man. Well, um, that's cool, man. Anything else about the product line that we missed? Um, any new products or, or categories that you're going to be addressing in the upcoming years? Yeah, I'm coming out, like we talked about earlier, I'm coming out with some bone-in bags eventually every year. I, you know, last two years I said, oh, I'm going to have them, I'm going to have them by season, and I haven't. So just some more bags. And, yes, I have a completely new product. Uh, it's I think it's even cooler than the boot dryer. I think it's 10 times cooler, and there's nothing like it. And it's a lot of... Uh, development and systems and stuff, but it's going to be used by Western hunters and Midwest hunters alike that I've been working on for about two years. So I can't give much more away, but I'm trying to get it released at the Western Hunt Expo this year. Oh, cool. That's awesome, man. Good for you. So when when it does come out, Dan, you'll be getting a, you'll be getting one of them for sure. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty high value, uh, pretty high value project. So it's not a cheap item, but it's a, it's a cool item. That's cool, man. I can't, I can't say anymore. I'm sorry, but. Gotcha. Is it a device that will drive your car for you and not get in an accident when you're driving uh, home to or from a long Western hunt? It's better than that, Dan. It'll do that, and it'll text your wife, send her flowers. It will uh, hire babysitters for the kids, uh, book massages, male masseuses to come to your home and oil up your wife. There you but go. But not touch any further. It will do everything you want it to, Dan. It will be you, but better, and you won't be anywhere. So it's a robot, basically. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, dude. It's a, yeah. That's, that's cool. It's a, it's, it's a traveling robot. There you go. All right, man. Well, hey. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to uh, uh, come on here and talk about the company and talk about your new products. Uh, if people want to find more about Graxaw, where should we send them? Uh, just www.graxaw.com, G-R-A-K-K-S-A-W. You can Google Graxaw. You can go to Instagram, look at Graxaw. I don't really post that much stuff on Instagram. I'm trying to get better about it, but I'm just terrible at it. But yeah. you can go to any of those places and uh, and check out what I got going. Perfect. All right, man. Appreciate it. And good luck this upcoming season. Thank you, Dan. You as well.